Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name's Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, special welcome to those of you watching online with us. We're so glad, as always, that you're here. Um, and if you're new with us, thanks for, for joining us for the first time, whether you're online or whether you're here in person. We're always so glad to have you. So if you are new, this is actually a great time to be here because we're going to be talking a little bit about our vision and mission at Resurrection City. But if you're not new, I actually think that this is maybe even more beneficial for you uh, because as I've noticed, the longer you're in a group or with a group of people, uh, it becomes easier and easier to be like, well, why do we do this thing? Well, that's just what we've always done. And even though we've only been around for two years, we're gonna celebrate our second birthday at the end of the month, uh, it's still easy to get into those patterns of thinking, well, that's just what we do. That's just what happens at Resurrection City Church. And so even if you've been here since the very, very beginning, I would encourage you to really engage with this material because I think it's gonna help us be refreshed and to be excited and to remember why we actually do the things that we do. So to kick us off, uh, as you know, we like trivia here at Resurrection City Church. We've been doing it online. Uh, and my sister and I, when we were younger and trying to like pass time in car rides or something, would play this game where we would, one of us would like say the um, slogan or jingle of a brand, and then the other one had to guess what it was. And I feel like there's not as many catchy like slogans and brands. I'm getting nods from the marketing people in the room, so that makes me feel like I'm on, on the right track here. But I wanted to do this a little bit with mission statements, since that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to read a mission statement for you. And since we can't really shout things out, it's not COVID friendly to do that. Um, I just want you to think of what your answer is in your head. And then I'm going to give you the real answer. And if you got it right, I want you to raise your hand. So honor system here, but I think I can trust all of you. And if you're watching online, you can participate too. Throw your answer in the chat, in the comments, and we'll see uh, how many of you can get it right. I always go back and look at the chat afterwards, so I'd love to hear what your guesses are on this too. Okay, so the first one. A computer on every desk and in every home. So think about it, get your answer. How many of you said Microsoft? Ooh, got a couple. So, I mean, this was their mission statement at the beginning. I think they've probably changed it now as the world has changed a little bit. I don't know if they saw smartphones uh, coming out of this whole ordeal, um, but I think there's definitely, most homes probably have uh, computers on them and most desks as well. Okay, second one. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. All right, how many of you said Nike? Okay, more right answers here this time. That one's a little bit, gives you a little bit of a hint. Um, uh, yeah, with the word athlete, it gives you a little bit of a, a head start there. Okay. To be Earth's most customer-centric company. This one's a little more vague. How many of you said Amazon? Ooh, we got one, only, oh, maybe two. Um, yeah, that one is a little bit harder, but once I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, I think I've seen that on their website before. All right, last one. To glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King. 
Trick question. That's us. Uh, hopefully you all got that one right if you've been here for a while. Um, and if, you, if Rest City is your home, I actually really encourage you to memorize this so that you know it and it can come to your mind quickly um, you know, as you think about why we are doing what we do, why we get together on Sunday mornings, why we gather during the week. So this is our mission statement. And as you know with mission statements, the ones we just read, they can be a little vague at times, right? Like, what does it mean to bring inspiration to every athlete in the world? That's a big a big idea, a big commitment. So when we thought about what it means to glorify God by seeing people our city and the world made new in Jesus, Joel and I kind of broke it down into three things as we thought about, like, what can we do? Like, when we, we say that mission statement, what does that mean? What are we hoping to see um, from all of us involved? And those three things are to experience Jesus, to belong to a community, and to serve others. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to walk through these. Next week, we're going to talk about belonging to a community, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about serving others. Um, and so as we do that, we just wanted to, to kick it off, to start the new year by talking about these things. And if you think about where did we get this mission, where did this idea come from, Joel and I didn't just like sit around and think, what's going to land the best with the people that we're trying to get to come to our church? You know, It wasn't a, a marketing type of a, a mission statement that we were going for. This is something that we took from what we think of as the mission of God. Some people call it the missio dei, which is just the, the Latin, I think, term for it. And when we talk about the mission of God, that uh, leads to the mission of the church. We can't really talk about the mission of the church if we don't first understand what God is doing. I love, there's a quote from John Stott that I love. He says, he's a missionary God before we are ever a missionary church. So before we can really understand what it means, why we want to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new, we have to first understand what is God doing in the world, right? What's his mission? And how can we as a church be a part of what God is already doing? Because he comes first. So today we're going to look at the mission of God, and we're going to tie it back to why we think experiencing Jesus is that first step for us as a church to participate in the mission of God. And we're going to go all the way back to creation to start, and we're going to kind of move through a large section of scripture, which is not usually what we do on Sunday mornings. Usually we're in a book of the Bible, and we're kind of moving through it systematically. Um, you know, we did John earlier this year. We're actually going to go through some of the uh, wisdom literature this winter. That's going to be our next step. So we're going to talk about Proverbs um, and Ecclesiastes and some other books. But this one's going to be a little bit different. It's going to cover a wide range of what goes on in the Bible. And I think that this is helpful for us because it helps us build something called biblical literacy. So a lot of times when we experience the Bible, it's in little chunks, right? We might get a verse here uh, or a passage there. Even in the 21 days of prayer that we're going to be doing, you get a, a verse or a section of scripture every day, but you don't always get how it connects through the whole thread of scripture, or you don't always get to look at one theme or one thing and kind of trace it all the way through from start to end. So today we're going to do a little bit of that, um, and one of the things we're going to look at is the theme of bearing God's image. So let's start at the beginning. <clears throat> in the beginning, God creates. So if, as you read the narrative, if you've ever read the beginning of Genesis, you see something, uh, you see some patterns as you read it, right? God creates something, and it's good. 
He creates light, and it's good. He creates vegetation, and it's good. He creates animals, and it's good. And honestly, the whole account is pretty short, and honestly, probably sometimes like annoyingly short to us because we're like, how? What does that mean? Why, why did you make giraffes that way, right? Like, we have all these questions about what and how creation happened, uh, but honestly, the whole account is fairly short. God creates these things, and it's good. But the last thing he creates breaks the pattern a little bit. There's a little bit more information given, and we hear a little bit more of what God is thinking when he creates the last piece of the puzzle, which is humanity. So in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So all of creation up to this point does reflect God's glory. But it seems that humanity does it in a more specific way. God says, we're going to create in his image. And he repeats it like at least three times in those few sentences. So it seems like there's something important about the fact that humanity is created specifically in God's image. No other parts of creation get this special distinction. Just humans. So it seems like we're given some kind of special job or maybe even a mission, if you will, for thinking about that. And that mission is to reflect God's glory by bearing his image, to make God's name known, and to bear witness about who he is to everyone else and to everything else in the world. Seems like a really big job, right? That's like a lot of responsibility. And some of us might be like, I don't want, don't sign me up for that. I'm not going to be able to do that as well as, as I would like to. But in the beginning, When everything is created, that's what humans are created to do. And so it's easy for them. That's just who they are. They're made into their DNA. But unfortunately, that only lasts for about two chapters of the story. And as we go forward, we see that uh, things get a little messed up. So Satan shows up, and he convinces Adam and Eve, the first humans, that they need more. Right? Their life of bearing God's image the way that God designed them to, it's just not enough. You see, Adam and Eve are made in God's image, but they're not God. There's still a distinction here. God is creator. Adam and Eve are created or creation. And I can just imagine, in my head it goes a little bit like this. Who knows what it was actually like. But in my head I think of Satan being like, No, you should have more. You need to live your best life now, right? Like, he's like the most sinister intentions of like a a marketing person or an influencer, right? You need this thing to make your life better. It's got, you have to have more. This product, this uh, whatever it is, you deserve it. Just take it. You need this best life, right? Just go for it. So Adam and Eve do. They sin. They try to make it about their glory, and not just about reflecting God's glory. They decide that they want more than just a reflection of God's glory, but they want their own. They want to take it for themselves. And as a result, the earth is cursed, we're cursed, and we no longer bear the image of God the way that we should. You can kind of think of it like a mirror. So a mirror would normally reflect the image of something, and if it's a a mirror that's in good shape, it should do it perfectly. But When Adam and Eve sin, it's kind of like the mirror is shattered. 
It's broken into different pieces. You know, like when you drop a mirror, sometimes it just cracks, and then sometimes it like legitimately shatters into multiple pieces. And that's kind of how I think about this. Because even though we're broken, we still reflect God's glory and his image in some way. It's just not in a full, complete way, and it's not consistent. So you might get glimpses of it here and there in people, but it's not the full picture of what it was created to be and created to reflect God's glory. It's fragmented, and everyone's out to kind of build a name for themselves and gain their own glory rather than reflecting God's. And as we go forward in the book uh, of Genesis, we're not even out of the first book of the Bible, right? Just moving a little bit further forward, in Genesis 11.4, there's a group of people who decide they're going to build a tower. So if if you've heard these stories before, uh, this is the Tower of Babel. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. So you see something that doesn't look quite right in there? They're about making a name for themselves, not making God's name known and his name great. They no longer care about spreading God's glory, but now they're all focused on taking it for themselves. And this is something we see all the time. This is something that, if we think about it, is not that uncommon for us. People who are um, at work, where everyone's trying to get the promotion for themselves, they might be competing over it. On social media, you see people trying to make a name for themselves, trying to be great, trying to be better than the other people. Maybe even in parents, you might see this, like you see how they put all of their time and energy into their kid because they're like, my kid has to be the best. I have to like have my glory known through my, kid, my children or my kid. An interesting part is that if I were God, I think I'd be like, well, failed experiment, let's try again, right? Let's just scrap the whole thing and start over. But he doesn't. He doesn't give up on humanity. Instead, he says, I'll find another way. I'm going to stick with my broken, flawed people, and I'm actually going to make a covenant to them. I'm going to commit to them that I'm going to be faithful no matter how many times they seek their own glory instead of mine. And so he promises that he's going to call them to continue to bear witness about him and that he's going to do it. He's going to show up in a big way to his people. So when you read this covenant that God makes, uh, I just want to read little parts of it because you kind of hear the pattern again. It says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant with you. I will give you land, and I will be your God. So God says, look, you want to be great? I'll make you great, but I'm going to do it through my own glory. I'm going to do it through me. As you hear in that covenant, he says, I will, I will, I will. He's like, just to make it very, very clear who's doing this and whose glory this is really coming from. So God does amazing things for these people. And again, if you jump forward in the story, another well-known story that you may hear, even if you're not a churchgoer in popular culture, is the Exodus. So it's this story of God's people when they're in captivity, and God shows up and makes a way for them to get out. It's this super dramatic, really incredible miracle that happens where he literally pushes water out through Moses and makes a way through the sea for people to go through. And the people respond by praising him, and literally they write songs about it, and they're so excited to worship him and to make his name great and to talk about this incredible God that's rescued him. 
And he says, that's great. Tell about it. Remember it. Tell your kids about it. Tell everyone you come in contact with about it. And for a while, they do. But ultimately, the same pattern of making, wanting things to me about them instead of about God takes place. They forget about it. They stop following God. They stop talking about it. They don't remember. And again, it sounds like something we can relate to. If you think back to times in your life where maybe you've had really great experiences where God has shown up, where you've really felt his presence, or maybe he answered a prayer that you have been praying for a really long time, or maybe he showed up in some kind of big way in your life, and after that you're like, yes, I am on fire, right? That's, I think, where that phrase comes from. A lot of times people say, I'm on fire for the Lord. They're so excited. They want to go out there and like talk about it, tell their friends about it. It's the only thing they can think about. And then over time, the excitement fades. Real life sets in. The worries about work and about school and everything else takes place of all of that excitement. We get distracted. And I think that's because in a lot of ways, the story of the Israelites that we read in Scripture mirrors a lot of our own story, which is why it matters so much that God is faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to what he promised his people in the beginning, no matter how often they screw up, no matter how many times they turn away from him or how many times they make it about themselves. And as we move forward in the story of Scripture, we see that he shows that faithfulness in the fullest way through Jesus. So Jesus serves as a bridge between the mission of God and the mission of the church. So how does he do that? In Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, it says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus comes as the true image of God. Hebrews says he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He's fully man, he's fully God, and he lives out this calling to bear God's image to the rest of the world in the most perfect way. He shares the good news, he proclaims God's kingdom and lives it out. And when he dies and rises again, he makes a way for all of us to be made new and to continue to glorify God by bearing his image. So Jesus comes and does what humanity could never do. He bears God's image and bears the glory of God to everyone else around him and he does it perfectly. And then when he dies, as Hebrew says, he provides purification for our sins. So going all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they choose to take their own glory in their own hands and make it about themselves rather than representing God the way he made them to, Jesus' sacrifice covers that, makes us whole again. He sacrifices himself so that all of us, throughout all of this history, can be made new, that we can be made more into the image of God. So if you think back to that mirror uh, example I gave earlier about the mirror shattering, when Jesus shows up, it's like he puts the pieces of the broken mirror back together. There are still cracks, right, that's not repaired perfectly. We're still broken people. There's still going to be times when we choose to worship our own glory instead of wanting to represent God's. But you can see the picture of God's glory more clearly. It's a little bit more full. It's a little bit more consistent. And through reconciliation with God through Christ, we can once again bear God's image. 
2 Corinthians 5, again, I'm moving us up into the New Testament here, uh, puts it this way. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and as though, as though God were making his appeal through us. So now we're starting to see, right, how Jesus bridges that gap between the mission of God and the mission of the church. He makes it possible for us to be once again Christ's ambassadors, as if God is making his appeal through us. We are called to bear God's image again. Jesus reconciles us to God, to one another, and to the mission of God, to the mission to make his glory known. So as we walked through the story of the Bible, we see God's mission to make his glory known. We see Christ's mission to reconcile us to all, uh, in all things to God and through, uh, to each other through his sacrificial love. And now we see the church's mission to carry on being Christ's ambassadors and to continue to be image bearers of God's glory. All of this is why our mission statement at Res City starts with to glorify God. Right? I think when we think of mission statements, um, or if I, even if I asked you, like, hey, memorize the mission statement at Res City, the to glorify God part kind of feels like, oh, this is just the intro. Like, I can kind of jump into the next part. That's like the, the insignificant part of the statement. But really, that's our primary aim. This is what we want. We want to reflect God's glory in all that we do. And through that, we think God makes people and places new through his reconciliation that happens through Christ who we now get to be ambassadors for. So how do we do that? There's a lot of ways that this plays out. Um, the three things that Joel and I like chose as the bullet points are definitely not the only things. Uh, but these are the, the things that we really think uh, matter as we think about what it looks like to glorify God in the context of Res City. So experiencing Jesus, being in community, belonging to community, and loving and serving others. And today I'm just going to talk a little bit about experiencing Jesus. And I think this, at this point, probably makes sense. Because we have to start with Jesus. Without him, this whole thing doesn't work. <laughs> it's impossible. We'd all still be the cracked mirrors that are uh, fragmented into multiple pieces. Without the mission of Christ to reconcile us back to God and make us true image bearers, there is no mission. We need to experience Jesus to be reconciled. We need to confess our need for him, to believe in his life, death, and resurrection, and to accept him as our Lord and Savior. But even then, we're consistently drawn away like Adam and Eve. It's tempting to want more, to want to focus on our own glory instead of on God's. But the more that we experience Jesus, the more we spend time with him uh, and spend time in his presence, the more we're reminded of the mission the more we're transformed into his image and therefore can better live out our calling to be ambassadors. And the more that we're conformed to Christ's likeness, just kind of something Joel talked about a little bit last week, the more that we reflect God's glory. So how do we do that? How do we go about being transformed into the likeness of Christ? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory or being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we contemplate the Lord's glory, it's just another way of spending time with God, experiencing Jesus, whatever words you want to use, we are being made more into his image. 
We see more of who God is, and we're better equipped to reflect him to the world around us. And it says all of this transformation comes through the Holy Spirit working in us. And as I thought about this passage, I kind of kept thinking about um, if you've ever had an old electronic that basically starts to die as soon as you unplug it, right? If you've ever had a phone that's super old or a laptop or, I mean, I was thinking back even, I think I had an iPod back in the day that got so old, uh, as soon as you unplugged it, it was like battery dropping, right? And so we've all experienced that. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's kind of how we are. When we unplug ourselves from time with Jesus and experiencing him, we, our battery starts to drop. It's like, uh, I don't know, we stop functioning the way that we're created to. We don't really uh, reflect Jesus in the way that we are called to. And really, I mean, it's not a great experience for us either. And so this verse here is a reminder for me that we need to stay plugged into Jesus uh, and to, into God's glory if we want to continue living out this mission well. And it's a big difference from the message that we hear a lot of the time. The world says, have faith in yourself. Take care of yourself. You can do anything you put your mind to. And I kind of feel like 2020 was a big, like, oh, maybe not to all of those messages, right? It was like, oh, I can't do all the things I thought I could. And life isn't as easy and self-care isn't as easy and not as fulfilling as maybe I thought it was. And that's because ultimately we need Jesus, he is the one who will take care of us. He will give us a greater purpose. He'll give us the strength and anything we need to accomplish his, uh, his mission. Because the truth is that we're just ordinary. We're just regular people. Even if you think about the most charismatic, uh, the biggest name, the like, most fun um, teacher or Christian leader that you, that you like, right? Maybe the one that you're like, man, this is the sermon. Like, I always go to their sermons, or they're just the best. I'm always going to listen to them. They have such a huge following. They're just so cool. They're just ordinary people, too. There is nothing special about them except for Jesus. And we see this highlighted uh, in Acts 4, verse 13. Uh, it's this time where Peter and John, some of the great apostles of the early church, are out there. They're given the message of who Jesus is. They're starting churches. And they sound like these incredible people, right, who just image God so well, and they're so charismatic, and they're so, like, successful. But I love this verse because it's a reminder that that's actually not very true. Somebody comments, they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I wonder, like, Peter and John reading this, I wonder if they're like, hey. <laughs> but it's true, right? We're just ordinary people. The only thing that's special about us or about them is that they have been with Jesus. They didn't have seminary degrees. They weren't the world's best public speakers. They were just ordinary people who were transformed by Jesus and were involved in the mission of God that he's already doing in the world. And that's what we want. When people come to Res City or when they join a community group or come to an event, we don't want them to think, wow, those people are so cool. They're so great. This is such like a, you know, a, a really well-organized or special thing. We want them to experience Jesus. We want them to say, eh, those people, they're okay. But I can really tell that they've been with Jesus. 
So how can you be a part of the mission of Red City or in even a bigger sense, the mission of God? I love, uh, I've been re- I read this book last year and it was just a really helpful reminder to me about how renewal happens in churches and in the world. Um, it's called Reappearing Church. And the author says, all of us are called to walk the process of renewal called discipleship. Stepping into the personal renewal that God wishes for us is the surest lever for influencing a church a family, or an organization toward his purposes. So he basically says, if you want to see change in your family, in your personal life, in your church, in your organization, in the world, the first thing that you can do and the most uh, practical and the surest thing that's going to have that change happen is stepping into renewal with Jesus. Stepping into time with God, saying, God, I am here, I'm here to serve you, and I want you to change me and transform me to be more like you so that I can better represent you to the people around me. And that seems counterintuitive to us, right? To us, we think, if I want to make change, if I want to see something happen, I've got to get organized, I've got to like, get a group of people together, I've got to make lists, I've got to have all the right things. But truly, the biggest way to see change is going to be for God to work in your heart first. And we think about it, it makes sense, right? There's things that we say all the time like, oh, you can't pour from an empty cup or, you know, you can't give what you don't have. But it's true. If you really want to see change, however, um, on such a small scale in your own life or in your family or on a large scale in the world, as we look about what's going on in our world these days and as Joel talked about wanting to be peacemakers and wanting to see change happen, the biggest thing you can do is experience Jesus and spend time in his presence. So it's an encouragement at the start of the year. How are you going to find time to do that and make that a regular habit in your life this year? And as Joel mentioned earlier, we're starting 21 days of prayer today, and that's something that could be a really great tool for you. There's lots of ways to do it. 21 days of prayer doesn't have to be the way that you engage in this, but if you are looking for something that's kind of laid out for you already, this is going to be a great step. And it's a cool thing, too, because it reminds us that, again, personal time with God isn't just about our own growth, our own spiritual reflection, but it's about something bigger, and it it has a bigger impact than just on us. And 21 Days of Prayer is a helpful reminder of that because there's people all over the world who are participating in this in the month of January. They're using different prayers, they're doing different things, but it helps remind us that we're a part of a bigger mission than just seeing personal growth on ourselves which I want. I want personal growth for you. But if spending time with Jesus has started to feel at all like a chore for you or like, ah, it's just something I got to do, I got to check the box or whatever, I'm hoping that maybe this idea that your personal time with Jesus is actually going to have a bigger impact on a larger mission, even to the point of like what God is doing in the world, that maybe that'll be motivating, right? It's not just about you. It is about you, but it's not just about you. God is doing something even bigger. And if you're afraid to commit to something like 21 days of prayer because you're worried, I won't be able to complete it all, you know, like, I'm going to fail at it. (laughs) I don't want to start something I can't finish. I just want to encourage you that there's so much grace here. It doesn't matter to me if you complete one day of it or all 21. I just want you to be experiencing Jesus and spending time with him. So please don't let that hold you back if there's any fear of, failing or not, you know, being able to finish it. Uh, I just really don't want that to hold you back from participating. Because ultimately, 
If you want to be made into the image of Christ and you want to see our church participate in the mission of God, it's going to start with you. And it starts with me too. This is a message for myself and for Joel as well. We're all just, as I said, ordinary people who the only thing that's special about us is that we are spending time with Jesus, that we're experiencing him. All right, so as we head into, if you've um, not been in person with us before, um, we're going to head into a time of reflection. So our worship team is going to come up and they're going to play a song and you can listen to the words and reflect on that or you can journal or read scripture, whatever is going to help you um, reflect the best you can. And there's going to be a question up on the screen uh, and it's just basically what I've been asking. How will you experience Jesus this year so that he can transform you more into his image? Uh, as a part of this reflection time, we're also going to be taking communion. You can take it at any time um, during the song. If you didn't get a communion cup, they're out uh, in the entrance. You can just go grab one. And uh, communion is actually a perfect chance for us to practice spending time with Jesus in the community of other believers in the church as a part of the mission of God. Um, and it's a chance to slow down, to help remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, how, as it said in Hebrews, he made purification for our sins, and then sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Father, we thank you that you are at work in the world, um, even when things seem out of control, even when there's so much evil, you're still good, and you're still at work, and we can see that in those who bear your image uh, and reflect your good into the world through the Holy Spirit. We confess that we, not, we have not always uh, been image bearers in the way that you've called us to be. We confess that we often want to seek our own glory instead of to reflect yours. Please forgive us and transform us more into your likeness so that we may better represent you to the world around us and join in your mission to make your name known. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>